the theme of what we'll be looking at in this little series on biblical worldview. Uh, but uh, the passage we're going to be reading and focusing our attention on this morning is here in Second Peter chapter 1. Now, I must say, you know, the, 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 the document that I wrote on this board up here, someone suggested it looked like an eye exam. You know how big at the top and gives a little... My apologies. It, as I got about halfway through, I realized I'm not going to get this on. <laughs> so if you want this information, I'd encourage you to write it down. I should have put it in the bulletin. Uh, but if you can't see it afterwards, come up and write it down. This will be a help to you. This is what we're going to be talking about this morning. I think it can be a help to you this morning. But let me first of all begin by reading here in Second uh, Peter chapter one, beginning with verse number, in verse number sixteen. Second Peter chapter one, verse sixteen. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when, when we made known unto you the power of, and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, remember, Peter is writing here. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, he's talking about the time when Peter, James, and John saw Christ um, on the Mount of of Transfiguration, and they saw him glowing. They heard from God. Uh, It was a very remarkable time. So that's what he's talking about here. Verse number 17. For he received from God the... Uh, the Father, honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the exceeding glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And his voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto the light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in our hearts, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of private, any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That little phrase there in verse number 19 is the one that I want us to really kind of build what we're talking about here this morning. It says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. What was Peter talking about? He said, Peter said, James, uh, James and John and I were up on the mountain. We saw Jesus transfigured before us. We heard God speak to us from the clouds of heaven. We heard that we saw that we were there. But he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy in the written scriptures. We have a more sure word of prophecy. He said, we can depend upon this book. This book can guide us. This book can lead us. This book can direct us. This book can give us all the information we need. It's everything that God wants for us in this life, to show us his will and his mind and his thoughts for us. And he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And we're going to be looking at that more sure word of prophecy this morning. And as we do, I want us to consider the fact that when you're questioned, you know, when someone comes to you and questions you about creation or abortion or genders or morals or, or some other issues, all the hot issues of our day, how are you going to respond? If you were saying, well, I think this, your thoughts are just, that's just a relative idea. You know, my thoughts, your thoughts, everybody's got thoughts, who cares, it doesn't matter. But if you say, well, I believe this because the Bible says so, that's a good answer, but... Then you have to defend why you believe the Bible is authoritative. A lot of people out there today say, well, it's your book. Who cares? I don't believe the Bible. And then what? Then's when you come to the place where you give them an answer like we've written on the board here. The Bible is a reliable collection 
of historical, instructional, and prophetical documents inspired by God, written by eyewitnesses or from eyewitness accounts during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, confirmed by the fulfilled prophecies, archaeology, and ancient manuscripts. Now that is something that will support your beliefs in why the Bible is dependable. And I want us to break these down in little sections here this morning. And honestly, I could spend probably six weeks going over this material or longer. And we're only going to look at a crash course this morning. And I hope that it will motivate you to say, i got to dig into that a little bit more. There's some more in there i got to find out. And you do your own research on it or come see me and we can talk some more about it. I'd be happy to do that. But there's a lot of information in here. Now, to be fair, right from the start, I want to say this. I gleaned a lot of good information from a message called Why You Can Believe the Bible by a fellow named Vody Bochum. All right, so I gleaned a lot from that, and I'm not going to deny I want that to be out in the open. You need to know that because I want to be fair to him. But it's, it's not his message, and there's a lot of things I've added, some things that I didn't put in that he thought, uh, and I've, I've changed a lot of things. So this is what we might need to look at here this morning. But notice this first phrase. It says, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical, instructional, and prophetical documents. Now, when we talk about a collection, you know, if it was just a book, you know, some religions have their book by their guru. All right? So it's their book, but written by their person that's their prophet or their, their lead man. This book is a collection of documents written by multiple authors and uh, inspired by God. And we're going to see that as we work our way through. It's a collection, not just by one person, and that's important. It was written in three countries. All right. Part of it was written in Africa, part of it was written in Europe, part of it was in, written in Asia. It was written in three languages. Hebrew, the Old Testament's almost all Hebrew, the New Testament's all Greek, and parts of the Old Testament, small little fragments of the Old Testament are, are Aramaic. It was written by approximately 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years. And you think about the authors of the Bible. Moses was a very educated statesman, probably very likely was going to be the prime minister, or the, uh, the uh, pharaoh of Egypt had he not fled away. Joshua was a military man. Samuel was a priest. David was a shepherd and king. Solomon was a king and the wisest man who ever lived. Isaiah and Jeremiah were prophets. Ezekiel and Daniel were captives in Babylon. Hosea was married to an unfaithful wife. Amos was a farmer. You move into the New Testament. Matthew was a tax collector. Mark was a preacher. Luke was a doctor. John was the beloved disciple of Christ. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. 
of the chiefest kind. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And Peter was a disciple of Christ. Written by a broad spectrum of people. From all different kinds of educational background, all different sorts of, of uh, occupations. God used all of these to these men to write 66 books. 66 volumes that are contained in our Bible. Making up information containing history and poetry and prophecy and instruction. All in this book. And the great thing is is that they are all united in harmony. All of these authors, though they were written over a period of 1,500 years, from all those different backgrounds, they do not contradict each other. They work in harmony. They are, are telling the same story. And the theme and central story of the whole Bible from cover to cover is the message of Jesus Christ coming to this earth to redeem sinful man and to give him a home in heaven. We see that starting in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. All the way through to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. talks about, even so come, Lord Jesus. He's coming back for those who put their faith in him. And so we have a wonderful book that is all put together in one document that we call the Bible. Adrian Rogers states, the Bible forms one beautiful temple of truth that does not contradict itself theologically, morally, ethically, doctrinally, scientifically, historically, or in any other way. The Bible is an amazing book. There's no other book like it in the world. And this book is a book that can lead you and guide you and direct you and help you and instruct you and teach you in the mind of God, if we'll spend time in the book. But not only is the Bible a reliable collection of historical, instructional, and prophetical documents, but the Bible is inspired by God. Or we might say it is claims divine inspiration. We believe it's inspired by God. Someone you may be talking to may say, I don't believe that. Well, we can certainly say it claims the, to be divinely inspired. Second Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 20 again. It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. He said it didn't come from somebody just putting together their thoughts of what is taking place. He said it came from inspiration of God. He goes on in verse 21. He says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God spoke to people through the Spirit of God and guided them as they wrote. And you know, it's an amazing thing when you think about how God guided the Scriptures being written because not every book is written in the same manner. Some of them are easier to understand than others. Because God allowed, in a marvelous way, the man to put his own personality and his own thoughts into the way that he put it down to the scriptures so that 
Peter's writings are different than John's writings, and Paul's writings are different than, than Moses' writings. They're, they're written in a different style and a different manner, but they're all guided by God. And they're all God's word. Did not come from any personal interpretation. We see also over in the book of Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It means to be God-breathed. God breathed out His Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible is our guide to show us what is truth and to lead us into the right paths. This is the reason we find perfect harmony in all 66 books of the Bible. 19th century preacher J.C. Riley listed six reasons why he believes the Bible is valuable. I want to list them for you. They're not all, all in entirety of what he said. But he said, first of all, the Bible alone gives a true account of creation. You look into the scriptures, all through the Bible, the story of creation is, tells us that God did it. God, in the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. One of the first words in, in the book of John is that Jesus Christ created all things, and without him was not anything made that was made. We see this theme all through the Bible, that God created. So the Bible alone gives us a true account of creation. Number two, the Bible alone gives us a true and faithful account of man. If you or I were writing a book of this nature... The thought that we would tell all the things that God has told about man. God didn't just tell all the nice things about people. He told a lot of the bad things about people as well. He starts out in the very beginning of the Bible and tells us that he created man perfect. And that man had no problems. That everything was wonderful there in the Garden of Eden. But God said, I made man so that he could make a choice. God didn't make robots that he pulls the little strings and guides us or that he pushes the buttons and makes us jump. God made us with a free will to choose. And as a result, man chose wrong. And they chose against God. And God tells us about that in Genesis 3. How man chose to disobey him. And as a result, it brought sin into the world and the curse of sin upon the world. And many times people say, if there was a God in the world, why does he let all these bad things happen? It's not God's fault. It happened in Genesis chapter 3. Man sinned against God, and God said, if you sin, you're going to pay for it. And as a result, we're still paying for the result of sin in our world. And we can't just get mad at Adam and say, Adam, it's all your fault if you hadn't done that. We That's true, but at the same time, we've all chosen to sin. We're sinners by birth, but we're also sinners by choice. I have sinned by choice. You have sinned by choice. Rarely do you meet a person that tries to deny that. Years ago, I met a guy that said, I'm not a sinner. I thought, oh boy, this is going to be an interesting conversation. All right? And his idea was, I haven't done any of those big bad things. Well, sin isn't just murder and, and, and some heinous crimes. Sin is any disobedience of, of God's commands. Anything that disobeys God. You know, you just look at the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. There's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. But you look at the Big Ten. There's not a one of us in this room who have kept all ten of them. Not one. 
The very first one, we've all failed. It says to put God first above all else, all the time, every day, 24-7. We don't do that. I can't say that I've done that. No way. The second one, not to, not to bow down to any images. Oh, we wouldn't set up an image and say, all right, let's come to pray to our little image. We may not do that, but we have all kinds of things that we put ahead of God in this life. It may be tech toys. It may be something we're, we love to do, a hobby or, or a car or some of the things that we put in our, in our life that is virtually an idol in our life. The commandment, honor thy parents. Honor your father and mother. Not a one of us have done that without fail. We all sin. We all have disobeyed our parents. And you go down to the list of those things. You may say, well, I've never murdered. Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart, you have murdered already in your heart. You say, well, I've never committed adultery. Jesus said, if you have lusted in your heart for a woman, you have committed adultery with her already. And the woman that dressed the way that she did to cause him to do that is just as guilty as he is. See, we stand before God condemned and guilty. And God lets us know all that. We see also that the Bible, number three, the Bible alone gives us a true view of God. How that God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. God loves us. You know, that is a wonderful truth. All through the Bible, God loves you. God died for you. He came to this earth to pay the debt for you. He loves you. And he loves me. And so that is a wonderful truth of God's gracious love toward us. Number four, the Bible alone teaches us that God has made a perfect and complete provision for salvation of sinful man through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our substitute. Jesus Christ paid the debt for us. Jesus Christ died in our place to give us eternal life. The Bible alone gives us that record. Number five, the Bible alone explains the state of the world when we look at the poverty and oppression and suffering and war and evil, the Bible alone explains why. I mentioned that a moment ago. It all started in the Garden of Eden. But we find also that, you know, that no law or education is going to be able to change man's heart. You can have very strict laws in your home or in our nation. That's not going to change man's heart. We can have all kinds of education. You can teach and teach and teach all you want. That won't change man's heart. Only God can change a man's heart. Only God can reach down inside of you and change you from the inside out and make you a new person. God alone can do that. And lastly, number six, the Bible alone gives an account of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. It tells us that Jesus Christ is the solution. Man's got the problem of sin, but Jesus is a solution. And that is a wonderful truth that God's word reveals to us. And so we see here, again, that the Bible is a collection of reliable, uh, a, a reliable collection of historical, instructional, and prophetical documents inspired by God. But notice nextly, it is, was written by eyewitnesses. That is critical. The Bible was written by eyewitnesses. And we see the evidence of this in the, in the writings here in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1, it says, The elders unto, uh, 
uh, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory which shall, shall be revealed. Peter said, I was a witness of that. He saw it. Many of the men of the Bible that wrote the scriptures were eyewitnesses to what they were writing. You think about Matthew. He was one of Jesus' disciples. Luke was, Luke admits that he was not an eyewitness of all that took place, but he was writing from eyewitnesses. And I'll mention that in just a moment. John was a disciple of Jesus Christ. You could go, go back in the Old Testament. There was many of those people. Daniel's book. Daniel was an eyewitness of that, except for the prophetical things that he was telling. Um, and Ezekiel was also pro- spoke a lot of prophetical things, but he was speaking of things in his lifetimes. Jeremiah was speaking of the things of his lifetime and the things that were taking place there. He was eyewitnesses of those things. These men were eyewitnesses. John chapter 1 and verses... Uh, first John chapter 1, sorry. First John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. The Apostle John makes a very bold statement for us here. John chapter, first John chapter 1, beginning with verses 1 to 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, notice there, he said we heard it, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, speaking of Jesus Christ. For the life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which is with the Father and was manifest unto us. But then look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with him, us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. John said, I saw Jesus. I heard Jesus. I touched Jesus. I was with Jesus. And the things that I'm telling you about Jesus are not lies. I'm telling you because I was there. I saw it. I was a witness of all this. But we find that also they either were eyewitnesses of what they wrote or they were, there were other eyewitness accounts that were very credible that they used in their writings. The book of Genesis, for example. You look in the book of Genesis, I believe there was 11 authors in the book of Genesis. Moses put it together. But you look through the book of Genesis and you'll find a phrase that happens 11 times. Don't have enough fingers. 11 times. And that is this phrase. The generations of. The generations of. And every time you see that phrase, the generations of, that which follows after that is a, the first-hand eyewitness documentation from somebody that was in that, what they were talking about. That's why when you're reading through the book of Genesis, you get to some of those sections where all of a sudden it starts talking about all these dukes and all these things, and you think, why is this in here? This doesn't really line up with everything else. It's because you look at there, it was, it was the, uh, all the generations of Esau. And so there's all these generations. But there were eyewitnesses all the way back to the beginning, and Moses was compiling those eyewitness accounts. Luke also tells us that his documents for the book of Luke were based on eyewitness accounts of other people. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we see in verse number 1 and 2, he says, For as much as... Many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which 
are most assuredly believed among us, even as they believed them, sorry, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the, of the word. Alright, so he says, they were eyewitnesses, the people that I'm getting this information from. They saw Jesus. They were with Jesus. And that's why when Luke gives us, uh, the, the document there of, of his gospel, he's saying, that which I'm sharing with you came from eyewitnesses, people that were there with Jesus, riding in the boat with him, watching him heal the sick, watching him raise the dead, watching him do these wonderful things. They were eyewitnesses of all this. And we see the next phrase here. Not only were they written by eyewitnesses or from the witness of uh, eyewitness accounts, but it was during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Why is that important? This makes the Bible verifiable and falsifiable. But what do I mean by that? If you said something today, if you if you went and said uh, went home and said, "Oh, pastor, pastor sang Mary had a little lamb in church." And, you know, and, and somebody else says, oh, I don't think you'd do that. Oh, he did. Well, there's all of you are eyewitnesses to say, no, he didn't. It's not true. All right? And if these men who are writing the Bible, if John, for example, told the things that he did in John's gospel, and there were eyewitnesses that were still alive in his lifetime, they'd say, that's not true. I was there. I saw that. That's not true. But you don't find that happening. All through the Bible, even in the Old Testament, when they were writing down these documents, there was, when, when Jeremiah was writing, oh, there were people that hated Jeremiah. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like what he was saying. But the prophecies and the things that he kept saying, he says, you're going to go into Babylon as a captive if you don't get right with God. And they hated him and they persecuted him and they tortured him. But what Jeremiah said came true. And there was not one of them that could stand up and say, well, Jeremiah wasn't telling the truth. Jeremiah was telling the truth. And so the, the, there were other eyewitnesses there that were able to support what was being said. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have some documentation for this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and look at verses, beginning with verse number 3. 1 Corinthians. Corinthians 15, beginning with verse number 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, who was Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom a greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then all of, the, of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born of due time. Now you look at that and you think about that. He said it was seen of over 500 believers at once, and he said a majority of them are still alive today. Now, even if a majority was 251. We know that there were at least 251 believers alive when Paul was writing that. That saw and heard and knew exactly what was taking place. And they could have easily spoken up and said, that's not true. That's not true. He's telling us lies. 
But they don't. Because the scriptures were written in a time that was very close to the originals of what happened. It wasn't like ancient history they were writing. Paul wasn't writing down things from way back 2,000 years earlier. He was writing things that took place in his lifetime. John was writing things that took place in his lifetime. They were writing things that were they knew about. They were eyewitnesses of. There were other eyewitnesses, and, and the eyewitnesses could verify or falsify what was being said. And that's very important for us to see. They could have spoken against it if it was not true. But then as we look through this again, I keep going over this because I want you to get it down. If you can memorize this, this will help you when someone says, why do you believe the Bible? You can tell them this, and it will help you to be able to explain why you believe the Bible. The Bible is a reliable collection of historical, instructional, and prophetical documents inspired by God, written by eyewitnesses or from, the eyewitness of other, of, uh, from eyewitness accounts, during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, confirmed by fulfilled prophecies, archaeology, and ancient manuscripts. This last three things are fascinating. We could spend a long, long, long time on this. And I, I feel like I'm just barely scratching the surface here. But I want to get your thinking going. They were fulfilled. The scriptures were fulfilled by ancient, uh, the, the prophecies were fulfilled. Many of the prophecies in Scripture have been fulfilled. And we find examples of this. Now, I'm only going to give you a handful of examples. We could talk scores of examples of fulfilled prophecies in the Bible. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. Micah 5, 2 predicted that uh, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And the people of Israel knew that. Remember when Herod was alarmed by the... the uh, wise men coming and asking where the Messiah was going to be born. And he was alarmed by that thought. And so what did he do? He sent to the wise men of his day and said, where was, where's the Messiah going to be born? Where did they go to find out? They went right back to Micah chapter 5 verse 2 and they said he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And that's exactly where Christ was born. And and. He had predicted this over 700 years before. I mentioned last week of the crucifixion of Christ described in Isaiah 53. 700 years before it took place. Described in detail of how Christ died and suffered for our sins. Isaiah chapter 48 44 and verse 28, 45, 1 and 45, 13 describe that, uh, that Cyrus, the king of Persia, would conquer Babylon and would set God's people free and let them go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And God told him that 150 years before he was even born, before Cyrus was born. And a long time before the people of Israel had even gone into captivity. And God fulfilled that exactly as he said. Another example, in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26, Joshua writes that the Jericho, the city that was destroyed, would be one day rebuilt. 
And the person who would rebuild Jericho would rebuild it. And as he began, his eldest son would die. And as he ended the building, his youngest son would die. You can read in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 33 and 34, that's exactly what happened. Years and years later. The man who built it, his first son died. And his last son died in the building of the Jericho. And these, there's all kinds of examples. And if you download the notes off the web, I've put three different links to various websites where you can find more, uh, more of these uh, lists of these uh, prophecies that were fulfilled. You know, Jesus Christ fulfilled many prophecies in his earthly ministry. In fact, Jesus said, and I may deal with this more next week, so I'm not going to say too much about it, but Jesus said on the road to Emmaus, remember he was talking to those two men, they didn't know who he was, and what did he do? He opened up the Old Testament Scriptures and told them all the things that the Old Testament said about himself. He fulfilled them. He fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. And so, you dig it out, you look it up, there are scores and scores of fulfilled prophecies in the Bible. Now, when we think about these fulfilled prophecies, back in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 13, I think it's also chapter 18, make a very bold statement. And they say if any prophet makes a prophecy that does not come true completely, he is a false prophet, he is to be killed. And so, all of these prophecies of the Bible, they have come to pass. But there's all kinds of religious people out in our world who have made all kinds of prophecies and it doesn't come to pass and then they make excuses and they change it a little bit and say, well, maybe we got the date a little bit wrong here. They change that. And they, they make all kinds of excuses. God said if they don't tell the truth, they're wrong. I'm not suggesting we go and kill them. But God said they're wrong. We're not to believe them. But the Bible is dependable. Not only do fulfilled prophecies defend the Bible, but archaeology. Archaeology defends the Bible. Archaeology is that digging up of all the old things they find in the ground. That's an amazing, fascinating thing. There have been some very significant archaeology finds over the years. Multitudes of them, but some of them I want to just point out a few here that maybe get get your appetite I'll wet it a bit and get you digging in on this. One of them is uh, Pilate's inscription. They found an inscription uh, in, on some um, buried material that said Pontius Pilatus, per- prefect of Judea. And it, it was verifying that he really truly was there because there were people saying, well, no, there wasn't. He, he was, just as the Bible said. And it defends the Bible. Another one is people, you know, for a long time didn't think that this idea, the Bible talks about Hezekiah's tunnel. They, said, oh, that's not they found Hezekiah's tunnel underneath Jerusalem, amazingly carved out to escape the enemies when they were being attacked. And we find that evidence that is there, just as the Bible says. And there's another one called uh, Taylor's Prism that describes Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and gives details about him. Another one is called David's inscription. It uh, says that it, uh, the phrase that's on this inscription says, from the house of David. And again, it's verifying what the scripture says. 
There's another one that was found more recently, I believe, that uh, is called the Moabite stone. It's a large stone. It's about 600 wide, about close to a meter tall, big, thick stone. And on that stone, there's uh, all kinds of information about uh, Moab. And in that information, it includes the names of King Omri, king of Israel. It includes the name of the tribe of Gad in Israel. And it includes the name of Jehovah several times. Once again, supporting the truth of the scriptures. There's another one called the Nazareth House. For a long time, people were saying, in fact, a man even wrote a book trying to deny that uh, Jesus ever was true because the Bible says he lived in Nazareth and there's no evidence that he ever lived in Nazareth. And there wasn't even such a place as Nazareth in the first century. And then they dug up this foundation in Nazareth that they say completely confirms that it came from the first century. It was there. Another one's called Cyrus, the Cyrus Cylinder, where Cyrus describes his, the things that we just mentioned there that Isaiah mentioned, of how he, was, he let the people go back to Jerusalem to build their temple. All recorded in, on this cylinder. One last one is Sol, uh, the Pool of Siloam. People mocked that. said, oh, there's no such place as the Pool of Siloam. They found it. They found it. It's there. So all these things, these archaeology things, they're showing the Bible's telling us the truth. You can depend upon this book. This book is truthful. This book is not going to lie to you. It's telling you the truth. And if it tells you the truth about these things, you can depend on the fact that it's telling you the truth about the fact that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. There is no salvation in any other. None other the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus only. And we can depend upon that because the Bible is trustworthy. The prophecies of the scriptures are true. The archaeology of this, uh, that supports the Bible is true. And then one last one, and again, we could spend a long time on this, but ancient manuscripts confirm that the Bible is true. For a long time, people mocked and, and made fun of the Bible, and then they found that, that shepherd boy that found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls contain much of the Old Testament, particularly the book of Isaiah, but much of the Old Testament. And they confirm almost word for word, letter for letter, that the documents that they've had for years were accurate and right. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were ancient. And they confirm what we still have. Not only that, but in the New Testament... The New Testament contains more ancient documents than any other piece of ancient literature. There are over 5,500 parts of documents, ancient documents, found that support the New Testament. And of those 5,500 documents, 5,000 of them, 5,000 of them support the King James Bible. 500 of them support all the other new modern Bibles. That's why there's a difference. The new modern Bibles aren't just new, new translations that are easier to read and understand. The only ones that are on the market 
and readily available that come from the same text as the King James, is the King James, the New King James and King James 2000 and King James 16, uh, 2016. Those are the only ones that I know of that are on the market regularly. Now there's some, some like Green's literal translations, some of those, but they're not really readily available. But these are the only ones that come from the, the same text. All the others come from a different text. That's why they say things differently. That's why they leave things out in places. That's why there's verses missing. That's why there's words missing. That's why they leave, you know, that's because they come from a different source. You gotta expect that if it doesn't come from the same source. And I know that those scholars, they'll say, well, but they were older, older sources. And they probably were older. I'm not gonna deny that. But old doesn't mean better. Just because something's old, doesn't mean it's better. I mean, I, could, I got some books in my library that are old books. I've had them for a long time, and they are basically new because they were boring, and I didn't read them, and they're just sitting there, and they don't get any use. And then there's other books that I have that are kind of falling apart because I use them all the time. And that's the way it is with the Scriptures. The Scriptures that were readable and usable were, were wore out, and they didn't last as long. But the ones that weren't they didn't value, they lasted a long time. But that's another whole topic that we could spend a long time digging into. But then one other evidence of the manuscripts form is that there are more than 36,000 scripture citations. 36,000 citations by 1st and 2nd century Christians that we have on record. In other words, these guys that were in the first and second centuries, some of the things they wrote, they referred to the scriptures. 36,000 times. Evidence that the Bible is true. Evidence that the Bible was accurate. So all of these things, we need to say God's word is right. I can depend upon the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. This book is God's book. And we can depend on it. We can believe it. We can live by it. This book is the book that will give you eternal life. This book is the book. The book doesn't give you eternal life, but it shows you the way to eternal life. Jesus Christ is the one who gives eternal life. But it shows us the way of eternal life. It shows us the way to live for God. It show, tells us about the future. And the things that it tells us about the future, you know, people say, well, you know, you can't depend. You, all of the fulfilled prophecies point to the fact that you can trust and depend on the ones that aren't fulfilled yet. And the scriptures tell us that one day Jesus Christ is coming back to take the believers to heaven. And that's going to happen, folks, and it could be today. And when Jesus comes back, those who know him are going to be taken up with him. Those who don't are going to be left behind to go through seven years of tribulation. Torment. Terrible time in this earth. Only to be wiped out and destroyed. It's a good... Bible tells us what's happening. We don't have to be afraid of the future. You read on the news, you hear these things that are happening and how everything's coming to, to, you know, centering around Israel and there's trouble in the Middle East and all these things and people are saying, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? We don't have to worry about that. 
We know what's going to happen. God told us that it's all going to happen in the Middle East. God told us it's all going to happen around Israel. God told us that the world's going to hate Israel. God told us that in the scriptures. He said it's going to happen. And when we see that happening, we know the time is coming near. And therefore, he says, we need to be prepared for that. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you need to trust him. Because if he comes back today and you don't have not trusted him as your Savior, you're going to be left behind. And that is not what anyone wants to do. Anyone in the right mind does not want to miss heaven and go to hell. We want to be with Christ. And so the central theme of the Bible, from beginning to end, is all about God's love for man as he created man. Man sinned against God, and God, God instituted his plan of redemption through Jesus Christ and all through the scripture it tells us and prepares and it was ready and preparing for the coming of the Messiah Jesus Christ came he paid the debt of our sin he rose from the dead and he went back to heaven and he's invited all of us who will put our faith and trust in him to become his child and live forever with him the choice is up to you and if you've not made that choice I encourage you to do it today let me read the document one more time. Think about the words. Let it sink into your heart. If you haven't written it down, I encourage you to do that. The Bible is a reliable collection of historical and instructional and prophetical documents inspired by God, written by eyewitnesses or from eyewitness accounts during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, confirmed by fulfilled prophecies, archaeology, and ancient manuscripts. We've got a Bible you can trust. You can stake your life on it and your eternal life. The Bible is the Word of God.